Hi, it's Mike Neal, and I want to welcome you to episode two of season two of the Credit Union Leadership Podcast. I'm Chad Harrington, your host. And today, Mike, we're talking about something that's a little bit different. Usually you give a solution to a problem or you interview someone about how well their credit union is doing. But today is about the messy middle. What is that? Well, the older I get and well, and you know, I'm pretty old. All you got to do is look at my bio to say, wow, that dude's really old. Well, one of the few things that are wonderful about getting old is you develop some experience and also some perspective. So one of the things I've found out over the last several years in working with credit union managers and teaching them how to lead better and coach better, uh, run their credit union better, is you can't account for every situation. There's no flow chart for what to do when someone sits down with you and says, hey, I want to let you know we had to put my mom in hospice care this weekend and um, this is going to be a rough weekend for me. So there's no flow chart, diagram, three-step conversation piece for you to handle that. Uh, and there's many, many other situations like that that will come up. And so you have to really be able to operate in the messy middle to be effective as a manager, as a coach, as a leader, because so much of your interactions with your employees over the years are going to involve situations that don't have a particular prescription. So what's going to guide you through that? There's got to be some principles because you can't just say, okay, well, I'm going to say this, or I'm just going to do it like this. Well, you might do it poorly. So what is going to be your guiding principles, um, the way you think about how you should treat people with respect while still protecting your staff? and was expected of them and their work. So today is really about being in that messy middle, but making it less messy, if you will, by being able to have core principles that guide you through those situations. Yeah, so we're talking about the things that aren't clear and th that no one can really write a manual about, or frankly, no one's gonna sit there and teach you about it because it would take forever to cover every situation. It's the messy middle. And so if, as you think about you know, what's going to really add value to credit union leaders in terms of, if I can say outcomes, why is it important to be able to operate in this messy middle? Well, because you are going to develop followers. Uh, you're going to develop employee engagement because your employees have relationship with you as a manager as a leader, Gallup Group says 70% of an employee's engagement is directly attributable to their immediate supervisor. So you think about someone who's been a manager for two years, four or five years, maybe hasn't had tons of management training, unfortunately. And those moments where somebody says something to you like, hey, I want to let you know I've got a crisis in my personal life with my mother or uh, something I really can't talk about, but it's really bad. Well, if the response is, I'm sorry to hear about that. We all go through very difficult times. Of course, you know that uh, uh, we expect you to be able to continue to perform here at a level uh, that meets the performance expectations designed for this job, uh, but we certainly wish you the best, right? Good that's, luck with that. Well, that's not going to work. I mean, uh, they, they're going to realize, okay, this is an exchange of cash for work. Now, that's not going to create employee engagement. But by the same token, within even that type of tragic situation, what do you do after five weeks where their performance is now such that it's negatively impacting the rest of the team? When do you say something what do you say in that moment with that person uh, that will get them redirected or get them moved toward maybe taking some personal time that they need? Uh, there's no book for that necessarily. But uh, again, I think we can do it better if we know what guides us. You're telling me that there's really no answer then. 
We might as well just turn this podcast off. <laughs> no, there, there really is an answer, and there's got to be an answer, right? Because those situations are going to happen. The problem is we don't really have any way to determine in advance how I'm going to respond to these things. And if you think about them as isolated incidents, well, then, of course, you can't because the longer you're in this business of leading people, Somebody's going to tell you something, and it's like, wow, I never heard that one before. So that's why you can't write a book on it or create a design around it because they're so different. But we've got to talk about it because you are going to create employee engagement in these moments. You're going to create fellowship in these moments. In fact, one of the things that I have a tendency to say is this. If you're a leader and you want to have followers, engaged followers, well, people don't follow people they don't trust, right? Because as a leader, your job is change. And so what are you doing? You're leading people to a place you've probably never even been yourself. Hey, we're going to create this new organizational model, or we're going to really focus on dominating in this area. We're going to do this new thing. So you may be leading people somewhere you've never been before, and you expect them to follow you. Now, if you told me, I've done this at three other credit unions and it works every time, okay, God knows what he's talking about. But if you say, follow me, and they know you've never been there before, well, you're asking a lot of people. So I don't follow people I don't trust, but here's the key. I don't trust people I don't know. And that's why, frankly, when I started in my leadership role in the credit union I worked at, I started change so early and so fast that people rebelled against it simply because it was change being led by somebody they didn't trust. And I guess if I think about it, I would have taken it personally, but I wasn't wise enough to even take it personally, right? I was so young. The idea was I didn't get to know people before I asked them to follow me, and I missed that whole idea. They were supposed to follow me because I'm your boss, and you can see I'm smart. <laughs> so you people have got to get to know you. And how do they get to know you? They get to know you really well and really fast when you respond in these dark moments, in these messy middle moments. I would love to hear an example or two. You've given some anecdotes, but if you can give us a little bit more meat to sink our teeth into, just so we can relate better to the kinds of situations and maybe maybe it'll hit home uh, in even more of a personal way because I know that you've seen a lot of different things, uh, unspeakable things probably. You've seen so many different things. Give us a couple examples about some real life things. Well, the one I've been using um, a couple of times already in the podcast is a real thing. An employee sits down and says, uh, I want to let you know uh, we've had to put my dad in hospice care you know, I, I told you he was sick, but um, he has cancer and he's really sick. And this is, you know, the last few um, days and weeks for him. And, you know, it's just really impacting me. And I just want to let you know, if you don't see me, you know, at the top of my game, this is why. Right now, the reason there's no prescription for this is. What happens when an employee comes to you and says, I just want to let you know um, we had to put our cat to sleep this weekend, and we really love our cat. You know, I don't have children, and so um, I, it's very tough for me right now. Now, I might think it's a cat, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But for somebody else, that's their child. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, so I've got a choice there. I could, in my mind, you know, I'm going like, you got to be kidding me, right? You mm -hmm. know, it's a cat. Uh, but in, if I respond that way, or if I respond any way that seems to be, I'm thinking that, that employee will never trust me mm -hmm. because I've disrespected a traumatic loss for them. Yeah. Right? You and, lost them. Right, exactly. And, and I won't probably ever get that back. Right. Yeah. So the things that we have a tendency to be in the midst of, like, and the reason I position it that way is first, when somebody says, you know, I'm going to lose my dad, we've either had that happen to us 
or we fear that happening to us. Yeah, we can empathize. And we know it's going to happen eventually. But, you know, with people that are really, you know, tied in with their pets or some of the things that happen with them, um, we think lesser of that. But when are you going to decide and what are you going to decide to say uh, in in that moment? Right. And, and you, so what you're saying is in this podcast, you're not going to get the answer for every situation, obviously. But what you do want to offer, Mike, is basically guiding principles. Yeah. Because you've got to have these, you know, these principles. And then what people can do with these is rehearse them. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, you can practice, you know, this nebulous situation that you're not going to be able to predict. But in your head, you can go through these principles and say, okay, how can I apply these principles to so-and-so? and to so-and-so, or to new employee that I've never met. So give us some of those those guiding principles. Well, first let me say this. I don't know necessarily that you're going to practice them because so many things that you deal with are so uh, obscure and one-off. But, but I will give you an example. Um, when I go, and everybody knows I'm a massive Fountain Diet Coke lover, you could say addict, but I just say aficionado lover. Sounds much <laughs> less uh, pejorative. Um, if I go and you know a, a refill is a dollar nine and a new and a new drink is a dollar ninety five, and I've got a new drink in my hand, and they'll say, "Oh, that's a refill," because they see me there like eighteen times a day, right? So they're used to it. And they go, "Oh, so you got a refill?" I don't have a decision to make there. I'll go, "Oh no, this is a new cup." I don't think about it. It doesn't cross my mind to. Wow, I I might be able to save a dollar eighty four cents here. This is a or eighty four cents or whatever I you know the math is. <laughs> Sorry, but I already know how I'm going to respond to that situation because I have integrity and character. Right. You know, and somebody once said to me, uh, one of the one of the clerks said, "I really appreciate your honesty," and my response was, "My integrity is worth more than a dollar seventy cents." Oh. You just said that straight to him. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, because it was a teachable moment for yeah. me. Yeah. In other words, I wanted to give them insight into me that I could be trusted. Mm-hmm. But, so these guiding principles, character, integrity, compassion, empathy, um, concern for humanity. These are things that you have to really decide that's who you are. And then your actions naturally flow from that. So once again, talk about the messy middle. We're going to talk about things today we can't even scenario practice for. Right. These are just going to be things that I hope resonate with all the listeners. And they'll say, yeah, that's how I want my employees and my team and my employer to perceive me to be. Many of the listeners are already going to have this as a character set. So it's just going to reinforce for them. But that's why I wanted to maybe redirect a little bit your idea that, okay, we want to learn them so we can practice them. Uh-huh. Um, no, we want to learn them so we can become them so that all of these situations flow naturally from who we are. Right. It would be a mistake to think that you're about to teach tactics. It's like more transcendent than that. Right. It's who you are. I know this may be our first metaphysical uh, episode of uh, our podcast. <laughs> the Twilight Zone. I know. I'm starting to. I'm starting to weird me out right now. We better just get. We better get on with the bullet points. I'm starting to weird me out. Okay, so Mike, with that in mind, what's the first one? Well, I learned this from my good friend John Hayes, who's the CEO at Access Credit Union in Amarillo, Texas. Really smart guy. Uh, great ethical leader. He said, set the stage to coach hard early. So when he meets with a new employee, one of the things he says to them is, I want to let you know, I'm going to coach you hard because I want to draw out your potential. So I'm going to expect a lot from you. I'm going to tell you when you do things well, but also when you don't execute on them well, you're going to hear that from me and I'll do it respectfully, but 
I'm going to coach you by catching you doing things right, but I'm also going to redirect you when you do things incorrectly, and I'm going to give you all the resources you need. But I'm going to coach you hard. And that was one of those things when John said it, like made me a little bit mad that I didn't think of it first. Yeah. <laughs> right. But what a great idea. Because now you're setting the stage that when you sit down with an employee and say, I want to talk with you about your behavior in this situation. I want to talk about how you respond to that member. I want to talk with you about how you spoke to your coworker. This is not out of the blue. Yeah. You set your standards really high. And what you've also done is set the stage that I'm going to coach you to those standards. And we're going to naturally have conversations like this where you're not super happy. So I love that idea of telling the employee up front that you're going to coach them hard. And, you know, even if it's not a new employee, an existing employee, you can always blame me. Hey, I listened to this podcast Mike Neal did, and here's one of the principles, and I think it's a good idea, so I'm going to start doing that. So you just blame me. Noted. <laughs> yeah, Mike Neal. N-E-I-L-L. Right. Yeah. And and now, this is not a blanket blame me for everything. <laughs> but this one thing, yeah, you can. Yeah, and that's really interesting. Setting expectations is huge. Tell us a few more. Um, it's really important to build relationship equity. And, you know, if you think about a checking account, you make deposits and withdrawals. And if you make a lot more withdrawals than you do deposits, you overdraw it. And there's nothing left to draw from. Nice analogy. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I worked that one out in my mind <laughs> prior to. But we many times don't make enough deposits into the relationship account to develop enough relationship equity to draw from it. In a credit union, one of the things we're really good at is catching people doing things wrong. In fact, we have a design where we audit things and we have uh, controllers and compliance and error reconciliation and error logs and uh, all these types of things to measure the exception. And the exception is usually the mistake. Well, many times people that are doing lots of work are going to appear on these types of logs because, you know, if I'm doing a thousand things and you're doing a hundred things, well, there's a better chance that I'm going to be caught doing one thing wrong than you. So we as managers have to be really good about catching people doing things right and telling people that we appreciate real aspects of their work. Now I'm not talking about, hey, Chad, I really appreciate you, man. Okay, hey, thanks. Yeah, just thanks for being on our team. Okay, that's kind of yeah grossed me out, right? It just feels like, okay, what was that about? That yeah, it's, like, to, it's like you're just doing it to do it. Right, that guy just went to a class, right? <laughs> <laughs> he just listened to a podcast. <laughs> he just listened to like, your podcast. <laughs> so uh, it's so important to really be mindful of catching people doing things right. And so I think it's so important just to put a daily recurring reminder on your Microsoft Outlook to catch somebody doing something right today. And it doesn't even have to be somebody that works in your area. You can build bridges between your area and other areas by saying thank you to somebody in the accounting department that always seems to be the person that answers the phone and gives you an answer and doesn't seem to be judging you, right? So I think building this relationship equity, and I think another good idea here is we all know there are certain behaviors that we want to see improved in our area, the way they answer the phone or the way they exit a call. Uh, so rather than saying, uh, do you need anything else? Right. You'd say, Hey, is there anything else I can help you with? Rather than saying, all right, take it easy. Say, well, have a great day. Thanks for calling. Um, my pleasure rather than no problem. Um, uh, accounting, this is my account. May I help you rather than accounting? So we all know there's things we'd like to see as behavioral improvements in our areas and our branches. And I just think it's a really good idea to take one of those, share it with everybody on Monday. Hey, this week, I really want everybody to work on this specific behavior. This week, we're going to focus on calling every member by their name. And so what I want you to do is I want you to catch each other doing that right when you overhear it, and I'm going to be doing that too. And now 
what are you doing? You're creating a specific behavioral improvement that you're going to get because people love positive reinforcement. And now it's going to make it easy for you to catch people doing things right. But I think it's so important if you're going to redirect people that you are also someone who catches people doing things right because you have to build relationship equity. Right. And the reason, just to remind the listeners, is not just so you can build the equity. It's so that in the messy middle, when you need to, you can take it out. So this is a really important point you're making, Chad. Thank you. This is not a better way to objectify the employee so we can manipulate them better. I mean, I, I'm somebody that's always felt uncomfortable with that. Even when I was being taught that, while I was a participant of, you know, the way to get the employee to agree with you is to say it like this. The way to get the employee not to react poorly is to say it like this. And it always seemed to be based on, here's how you get your way. Here's how you create a better opportunity for people to do what you want them to do. I think we do this because it's the right thing to do. And there just happens to be a benefit to it down the road. So I would be a proponent of catching employees doing things right because it's part of being a good human, (laughs) right? I mean, I need to catch my wife doing things right. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to tell my kids, I appreciate this that you do. What I have found is, as a result, when I have to say some hard things to my kids, who are now adults, by the way, and they you know, realize I'm not completely stupid and need to probably listen to a few of the things I say, is, okay, I can sit and listen to him because he has told me the things about me I value. He's not just constantly on my back trying to redirect me. So you make a really good point. I'm glad you made it. I really didn't have an an intention. I really didn't have any intention to make that a big part of it, but it's true. This is not about creating a better way to have the opportunity to say hard things later. It is about having a guiding principle that is appropriate and correct, but then later it will come in to be a valuable tool. Right. And we're talking about relationships and relationships in the workplace is almost like a a funny thing to talk about. It's like, no, we're just working here. Yeah. But what you're saying is no, it's actually really important. Tell me more about the relational side of this. This is a great point that you're bringing up. The Gallup group revealed from an employee survey that, Two of the things that drive employee engagement more significantly than most others is one, my boss cares about me as a person. And number two, I have a friend at work. See, the paradigm has totally changed from when I was growing up, you know, back when we were using fax machines and typewriters, which is, hey, You come to work, it's work. It's called work for a reason. You got a boss, you do what they say. You don't, they'll fire you. And you come home and complain about work later, but they're your boss and you do what they say. And, you know, don't get, don't get involved with people at work. It gets messy. That paradigm has changed. We now live in a world where people's garage doors go up and the garage doors go down and people don't know their neighbors and, but they call people they've never met. Uh, on social media, they're friends. So much of the places where people are developing relationships that they hope can be safe relationships are at work. So if we don't realize that, we'll just deny reality. And we'll do all the other things that we think create employee engagement, as we've noted before, letting them wear jeans, buying their pizza, on Fridays. And, right. No, every day. If every day was jean day. Oh, it's we, getting better. Oh, yeah. If every day was jean day, we know employees would love us more. Uh, not really. Listen but, to season one. Yeah, listen to season one. That'll make more sense. Um, shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that people want to know that the person that is their leader at work cares about them as a person. And you know what? We can't do that to the degree that probably 
some people would like because we also have a responsibility to the organization, to the team as a whole, to our membership. So if somebody says to me, I really need tomorrow off. Okay, what's going on? Right? Rather than, no, I'm sorry, you know the rule is you have to give a 48-hour notice. You're only at 24 hours or so. Mm-hmm. I don't want to violate that principle because if I do this for you, I do it for everybody. Mm-hmm. My first response is, oh, what's going on? Well, you know, I completely forgot about the field trip. And, you know, he just depends on me to go on these field trips. And I haven't been on the last couple. I really need to go on this one. I might have to say in that moment, I'm so sorry. I, I cannot let you go on this. Uh because tomorrow's Friday, and I've already given Jim the day off. So this is, would put us down two out of four people, and I, I wish I could do it, but I just can't. See, now, if my total focus was on developing relationships, I'd say, yeah, we'll work it out. But guess what? If I'm an others-focused leader, which I'm a proponent of, not employee-centric, not member-centric, but other-centric, I've got others, my team, Mm -hmm. who now is going to be working twice as hard and frustrated and not going to get a lunch Mm -hmm. or much of a lunch. And then I've got members who are going to be wondering what's going on. So it's more than just that individual. That's part of the messy middle. That is a messy middle moment. But my guiding principle here is, okay, I want to find out what's going on. If they tell me my father's having open heart surgery tomorrow, we're going to find some way to make that work. Right. And by leading with like being open and not just here's the rules, you're, you're at least giving them a chance to relate to you and for, for them to be heard. Right. Because there are moments I'm going to have to choose which of my others is more important. Right. Right. And so how messy is that? Way messy. And so now I'm going to let them have that time off. I've got to go, beg and borrow and try to find a replacement. Somebody can lend me somebody, let him know what's going on. And I may have created a problem for that day, but I did what I believe was the right thing there. But there are certain responses the employee could have made, such as, you know, the field trip example, where I'm going to say, no, I'm sorry, I, I can't. I wish I could. And here's why. Because I want them to understand this is a predicament for me but I'm doing what's best for the multiple others in this situation. So that's the idea of building leadership through trust and relationships. Even when I tell somebody no, I want them to understand why I'm telling them no. So they understand that it's not about them every moment. You know, we sometimes lose our team by saying yes to every individual request. We sometimes lose our team by trying to save an employee who doesn't want to be saved. And that's not good to do as a leader. Uh, But to make sure that that employee understands, I care about them as a person, and I'm sorry I can't work it out, even when I'm denying them, is is a good thing to do. So uh, again, just continuing along this discussion on leadership through trust and relationships. You know, trust takes a long time to develop and only seconds to destroy, it can almost never be completely rebuilt. Now, that's scary. Yeah, let's like take a moment to process it. Yeah, I know. That's, that's so scary. I mean, you think about it. Um, and when you're in a leadership role, your words and actions can hold more weight for people because it, it sets the tone and it, you know, it you're in a sense in a position of authority. Oh, well, if it doesn't carry more weight, then there's a problem. I mean, if they don't think that what you say has more weight, then their peer, then there's a problem with your leadership, right? Um, certainly from a respect position. Right. So, you know, when somebody says, you can trust me, and then they do something that breaks trust, and then they say, I'm sorry, sorry doesn't fix everything. Sorry does not fix everything in the world. You cannot take words back. You cannot take actions back. All you can do is apologize. Now, in our mind, what we want to do is once we say, I'm sorry, we just want to reset everything like it never happened. Forgive and forget. Um, Okay, people may forgive, but it takes a long time to forget. And we also know the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So when I act in a way that breaks trust, that breaks relationship, 
then those things are hard to recover from. Now, it doesn't mean you can't, but you don't go back to the same place. Here would be an example as we talk about leadership through trust and relationships. One of the things I used to tell my employees is this. I will never raise my voice at you. I will never curse at you. I'll never express my anger at you. Now, that's something that is a pretty high standard. I was always able to maintain it. And the reason why is I set that up is that's the way I treat people. I'm never going to be in a situation. This obviously didn't help my children, I wish I could say. Uh, but if I realize I can control chat on a day-to-day basis. You can? I cannot. Okay, that's No, I, I can't, yeah. <laughs> Uh, not many people can, uh, so, but I can't control you. So if, if you don't show up to our podcast, you know, when we agreed to, I can be frustrated. I can sit in my office and go, man, that Chad, he just ruined my whole day. But when I talk to you on the phone, I got a choice to make, you know, Hey man, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. I thought we had the time set. Yeah, we did. I just messed up. Okay. Well, uh, when do we need to set it up? Because me directing my anger to you in that moment does not change the fact that we're not doing the podcast on time. And it does then damage our relationship going forward. Is me expressing my anger worth that? What did I get from it? What benefit did I derive? No, I just felt better. Not really. right? So me being in control of the way I interact with people makes me feel better. I'm, I'm processing this. I feel like it applies not just in the workplace, but to just relationships. Sure it does. Because what you're saying, again, is guiding principles. We're talking so, about character. Yeah. We're talking about how you choose to act with people. So I've had, empl- I've had an employee who's come into my office and sat down and closed the door. Now, trust me, when the employee closes the door, you know, <laughs> you get a little nervous. Yeah. You know. Uh, when you close the door, you start say, looking about around. Is right, exactly. You know, when you say, uh, I'm going to close the door because, you know, I'm going to talk to you about some things, you feel good about that, right? But when somebody comes in and closes the door and says, I need to talk to you right now, like, okay. So she begins on the conversation and her language is getting more heated and she's starting to lean over my desk. And it's some perceived slight that is ridiculous because it involved her getting a promotion. <laughs> She just didn't like the way she got promoted. Interesting. It was Yeah, interesting. So here we are in the messy middle, right? Where's the class for? What do you do when your employee is irrational and you have done something good that she perceived to be as a slight? I don't know. There's no class or book for <laughs> that one. So she's getting so heated. I get up and open the door. She gets up and recloses the door. Whoa. So I thought, yeah, this is how it's going to end for me. They'll... they'll the cleaning lady will find my dead body stuffed up under the credenza, you know. So it's um, a mutiny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, they're wanting to create not privacy now, but secrecy for what they're about to do to my person. And so I said, uh, Amber, I can see you're upset, but we're not going to have this conversation now because my commitment to you was to maintain control of my anger and my temper and my language. I'm going to find that difficult to do if you keep going. Wow, you said it just like that. So I said it just like that. So our, our conversation is going to end now. So I, <laughs> so I went and I opened the door, right? And she wouldn't leave. So I left. Fortunately, there was a men's room right across the uh, <laughs> hall. So I knew she wasn't going to follow me in there, right? So I went across to the men's room. Where's my safe place? Exactly. Yeah, there it was. Stall number one. So... um I kind of picked out the door and she was walking down the hall. Well, what happened was she could not dial it down. And so she's saying all the things that she said about me to my face while she's walking down the hall at the same volume with the same language. And so such that other employees who had no idea what was going on were just blown away. So I wound up terminating Amber later that day. And, wow. uh, you know, of course, what had happened in the interim, she'd calmed down. She'd realized she made a mistake. And when I brought her in the office, she said, the first thing I want to tell you is I'm so sorry for what I said. I'm so sorry. I just, I don't know what I just lost it. I, you know, I should have realized I said, Amber, I'm sorry, but I'm going to let you go. And she said, Oh, please. What can I do? I said, Amber, I said, if this conversation had been just between you and me, it'd been one thing, but 
now there is no level below what you just exhibited that anybody will be able to say, yeah, I may have done that, but at least I didn't do what Amber did. Mm. She slapped, cussed him out right in front of everybody. You know, you could hear her screaming at him down the hall. So what's going to be the standard at which I'll say, hey, Jim, you can't talk to Ted that way. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I can't. I mean, you, I, that wasn't what, it's better what Amber did. And, and she was talking about a manager. So because I'm a big believer, what you're willing to accept becomes a reality. And so the, the this was a hard situation, uh, but I had to maintain a commitment in that moment that I was going to live up to my character. And I was, so nobody was going to see how I responded in that situation. She could have said virtually anything happened in that room. What I hoped was no matter what she said, people would go, eh, eh, there's no way Mike did that. I know Mike, there's no way they would believe me based on my character. So I just think on this idea of relationships and relationships and trust, I think it's so important that you establish for your employee, here's the standard I'm going to maintain. And then I can say to the employee, I expect you to maintain that same standard in your treatment of your coworkers and your members. So when you do that, you set a high standard. There's an immediate level of respect to like, dude, nobody, no boss has ever said this kind of stuff to me before. And then when they see you living that out, they'll go, wow, that guy, I'll tell you what, he doesn't compromise on that. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. You know, he's, he's going to live this stuff out. And that's how you build trust. And that's how you build relationships. Employees have to know that I'm going to be safe with you, that I can come in and I can say, I am so frustrated right now, you know, and you're going to let them be able to talk. But at the end of it, you might, Say, for example, you come in and you say, I am sick and tired of Bobby, you know, running his mouth up there. He never shuts up and I can't even do my work. And I'm going to, I'm going to let you vent that. I'm not going to say, well, you know, you know, the, you're talking to the wrong person, aren't you, Chad? I'm going to let you down. And then I'm going to say, so what did Bobby say when you said to him what you just said to me? Uh, oh, I, I didn't say any of that. Okay. So what's going to be your game plan? Put it back on them. Right. But I'm going to put it back on them after I've listened to them. And then they'll say, well, he's just going to say this if I say that. Or you don't know him. He gets upset. I'll say, well, let's role play it. I'm actually going to give you some tools now. Why? Because that's principle number three. No, because I'm not going to send somebody out who clearly is not great at conflict resolution to resolve his own conflict without some paradigm. So I'm going to say, hey, well, let's just role play it. I mean, if this is bothering you, you need to talk to Bobby about it because I can assure you he has no idea this is bothering you. Right. And here's how. Right. And so let's talk about maybe context and words and location where you would do that. That just builds trust and relationship with people. You're giving them tools, you're listening to them, and you care about them as a person rather than, I have a policy. My policy is employees work out their own problems, go forth. You may not like how that turns out for one thing, but the other thing is the employee says, you know, he won't help you. I don't even know why I went in there. He wasn't even listening. Yeah, it's, it's connecting with people where they're at. And then taking them to the next level. Like you said, a leader is a change agent. And, and in that moment, in the messy middle, you always have to be looking, okay, what's, where are they at? Where do they need to go? And how can I help them get, get them there? People don't love rules. They fear rules. They can love a person. I can respect a rule. Why? Because I fear the punishment. But I can respect a person. Why? Because there's something about that person that I admire and I'm drawn true. And that's the kind of boss I'd like to be is somebody that doesn't fear my rule, but respects the principles that I live by. Right. What are some other principles just as we close out here? Uh, we need to be transparent. Uh, when we make mistakes, we need to own up to them. Um, I think 
you know, I don't think I was an awesome parent, but I think one of the things I did do well with my kids, if I overreacted to a situation or said something stupid um, uh, or misidentified who is the uh, evildoer of the two, I would say, I want to apologize to you. I overreacted in this situation or I want to apologize to you. I made some assumptions about that before I listened to what you were saying. I've really taken that out as I work with my staff at Service Star. But when I was a leader at the credit union, I would say, hey, I blew that. That was a bad decision on my part. That really did not work out. Um, thank you. I, I appreciate you working through that with me. And then I found that I raised kids who would come and say, I messed up. I want to talk to you about it. And then I also had employees who would say, I want to let you know I think I messed up. Because my transparency led other people to be transparent. And again, what is it? I can trust people that I know, and I can't know someone who's not transparent. You know, well, that did work out exactly like we wanted, but it was fine, wasn't it? Oh, oh yeah, boss. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I, I mean, everybody makes mistakes, and so, you know, uh, yeah. Right. I that mean, doesn't work. Right, because nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, boss, that was a really bad idea. <laughs> You're fired. Right, that's the, that's the ex-employee. It now says that. So I think it's so important to be transparent because every once in a while I have somebody come up at the end of, you know, an eight-hour presentation where I've been talking for almost eight hours straight. And somebody will come up and they'll say, I think you may have said something wrong. And I'm like, I'm sure I did because (laughs) I probably used 55,000 words. And I said, probably one of them was wrong. If one of them was wrong, I'm lucky. So which one was it? You know, and if I said something, you know, uh, that was wrong or uh, kind of messed up their understanding because I said it two different ways, I apologize to them. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Um, and uh, but here's what you need to do. And I don't even blame it on. I'm I'm tired. Right. You realize That's how much excuse. I say in a day. You know, you couldn't get up here and do this. Who are you to critique me? I don't stand over your desk and judge your right. I mean, I just think you like, yeah, I blew that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I probably did say that. Here's what I meant to say. And you just move on. But it's this idea of being transparent uh, because I make so many decisions in a day. <laughs> I promise you, some of them are going to be stupid. <laughs> just flat out stupid. You don't say, oh, maybe they're not based on uh, stupidity. No, you know. I think if I'm honest, there's sometimes I can just be stupid. Right. Right. So. And it lets people, when, when they realize that they've made a stupid mistake, they can just be like, you know what I did. And then it's out in the open. Right. Which makes the messy middle way easier to deal with. Hiding, not good for that. Well, and you know, I'll say this. Owning up to it doesn't mean there's not consequences for it. Because I've made mistakes that I've had to have consequences for. And so the employees have to expect that too. Hey, I made a mistake. That doesn't mean, oh, I was transparent, so I can't be held accountable. right? But the idea is, it's just, I don't hide it and hope you don't find it. What I do is, hey, I made a mistake. Can you help me? And I try to do that with my employees, and that's reciprocated as well. So again, that's just part of your character, right? Rather than uh, a key Principle number three in the mm-hmm. trust building paradigm by Mike Neal. That's, you know, that's not what it's Your about. Your next book. Yeah. My next, <laughs> hey, that did, it did have a nice ring to it. You know, we might be able to sell that. Um, scratch this podcast. Got to monetize it now. Um, the next one is don't compromise your integrity. Um, an example might be somebody comes and says, hey, I want to talk to you about something, but I don't want this to go any further than this. You can't say yes to that, you know. Now, early in my career, because I wanted to know and I knew it must be something bad, I'd say, okay. But then I'd find out, you know, it's something that I could not keep to myself because it was negatively going to impact another employee or the team or a member or something. And the narrative that developed was, you can't trust Mike Neal. Don't take anything to him because... I don't get the backroom voice that the other employee does, which is, well, I'm, you know, 
up the creek without a paddle now because I told Mike Neal and he promised me he wouldn't say anything and he did and everybody now knows who's the one that said it. And so, what? Oh, I don't want to go into it right now, but you just know that whatever you say is going to be public no matter what he says. So I'm, I'm just very careful about being put in situations where my integrity is going to be compromised or potentially compromised. And there are so many more of them now uh, than there were when I was younger. Um, and I could go through a list of examples. Uh, most of those would be uncomfortable examples that I wouldn't want to maybe share on a <laughs> open mic. But what I had to do is I had to make a decision that, you know, if I'm in this meeting with this person or if I'm here with this person, I'll give you a real innocuous one. Don't go to lunch with employees on a regular basis. You know, don't go to lunch with your employees when you're regular, on a regular basis. Certainly not a single employee on a regular basis because what happens is people start saying, oh yeah, well, you know, that's his favorite. What are what's his favorite? Oh, I'll tell you what's his favorite. And it goes on there. We know how people's minds run. Look, I'm going to go to lunch with you when I'm recognizing you for something you've done, or maybe we're going to do your quarterly evaluation. I'm not saying never interact with your employees outside of work. I'm saying be mindful about how you might compromise your integrity. Or even just perceived integrity. Yes, that's a, a better distinction. Your perceived integrity, because my integrity, I own it. Right? I either did something or I didn't, but the perception of integrity. And we've all been in those situations at work where people talk. And I am more mindful than ever to do things that don't cause people to talk. And a simple example might be there's one particular employee that I have an affinity for. I mean, you know, certain employees, they're high performers and you look at them and you say, hey, that person could be my next uh, assistant manager and you start speaking into them. So you're going to spend more time with them and you're going to train them and you might not be training these two other people that don't show that level of commitment or that engagement at work. Well, there's already going to be like, why does he spend so much time with that person? And then let's say every day you guys get together and there's like a five-minute closed door. You know, what are they saying in there? I, I, I bet they're talking about us. I mean, it's just why? And we might say, that's so petty. Look, you're just denying reality. You're just denying reality. Does it have to be a closed-door meeting? Maybe not. Are you putting that employee in a position to have their integrity uh, questioned? And so, again, there's all these things. I even feel kind of like creepy talking about it. But there's all these moments where you have to think about how is this going to be perceived from the standpoint of character and integrity? And if we don't, uh, we're just opening ourselves up to have all those good things we do undermined by giving people room to talk. And people will say they're listening to this, some. Well, they're going to talk anyway. Right. But do you give them the motive power to have the conversation? Do you give them the fuel or is it foolish minds saying foolish things? I'd rather have fools talking foolishly than giving people the opportunity to have something to talk about. Mike, as we close out this episode about the messy middle, what do you want people to remember? Um, and I'm going to try not to get emotional about this. The older I get, the more I realize the things that I'm going to value are the relationships that I've built, the people's lives that I've spoken into, the change that I've made in the lives of people um, over the years. And it's going to be less and less about awards that I've won and uh, titles obtained Um it's going to be more about those people who I know I've had a positive impact on their life, whether they've said it or not. And what's really special are those times when somebody will come to you and say, I want to tell you how much I appreciate what you've done because uh, this was going to happen to me had I not had the chance to hear you or read your book or 
listen to this podcast. And so for me, these last several years and, you know, as I move toward, you know, certainly the latter part of my career, um, it is that I want to be able to create positive outcomes for people so that when I'm done, people will be able to say, I'm so glad I met Mike Neal. I mean, that was a real help when I went to his class, read his book, listened to the podcast, whatever. And um, because those are the things I look back on really fondly. And the interesting thing, Chad, is consequently, I'm so much better now than I've ever been before. I mean, certainly I know more because I'm more experienced. I've got more wisdom because I've got time under my belt. But now, the focus being on being someone who positively impacts relationships and creates value, I'm so much better than I've ever been because it's not so much about the numbers of people that I talk to and um, what my checkbook balance is and how many new clients we've generated, but consequently, what's weird? We've got more clients than we've ever had, and I'm speaking more people than I ever have before. Um, and, and so when when what drives you is who you are and want to be rather than what you want to accomplish, um, I think you wind up having a better chance of getting both. So that's what I would like to say is that this whole podcast is really driven around the idea that don't compromise who you are and develop relationships. And to be able to do that, you've got to be able to know how I'm going to react in a situation before I'm in that situation I've never been in before and never thought I would be in. Kind of like me with a fountain Diet Coke, I guess to end on a lighter moment, right? <laughs> Which is, there's just no question how I'm going to respond. There's no calculation of, hmm, you know, who is this going to hurt anyway? It's a big company. You're not going to, a buck 84, whatever. They're lucky to have my business. Like, no, no, it's a, it's a, it's a new one. Because that's what guides my decisions and my actions. This has been really good and insightful. And I feel like I just got a life lesson in this, this episode. This is the Credit Union Leadership Podcast with Mike Neal. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with Service Star Consulting and Mike Neal to find out how they can help you, go to servicestarconsulting.com. They would love to connect with you.